live in the church age. And because we live in the church age, the Bible, Jesus tells us that the harvest is what? What's the harvest? It's right. But the laborers are what? Few. What's wrong with that picture? Right? And so he knew, he knew it was going to be that. But he knows it's like that. But that doesn't give us an excuse not to be scholars of the gospel, right? We need to proclaim Jesus, right? We need to proclaim him. In fact, now is the time. Now is the acceptable time of the Lord that we need to, listen, today is the day of salvation. And listen, now is the time to share Jesus. Not tomorrow, not the tribulation period. God's got all that covered in the tribulation period, praise the Lord. He's got it all covered, and we've been learning about that and learning about that. But this is the time right now. Sometimes we're just too stinking comfortable in our skin and in ourselves and in our lifestyle that we don't share Jesus enough, and we need to share Jesus. And so there, this is what happens. This is what Jesus, we talked about Jesus. He's going to have a sickle in his hand, sitting on the cloud. And he says he's going to come, and the angel's going to come from the throne room of God with a message. And the message will be, go ahead and start reaping. But this harvest is going to be a destructive judgment of reaping. Judgment of reaping. And people are going to be destroyed. You know, Jesus can come back tonight. It could be some of your family members that he'll be reaping. Wouldn't that be sad? Wouldn't you feel sad about that? I would feel sad about that. I do feel sad about that. And I pray that as we, we think about the events and activities we're doing this week, we need to have a burden, a heart, a burden for people who don't know who Jesus is. They never experienced a loving Savior, and they never experienced what Jesus did for them by dying on the cross and shedding his blood and forgiving them of their sin, that they would receive that free gift of salvation for themselves and be changed in the moment, right? Be changed immediately, and the Holy Spirit come in and dwell in them. Then they have a loving church like Hell's Church that come and embrace them and love them in the Word of God and to show them great and mighty things through the scriptures and the word of God and through the love of fellow brothers and sisters. I would love to see that. This place needs to be full, right? And I would love to see that. Wouldn't it be awesome? I, I would love to see this place full. I would love to be putting out chairs for more room. And listen, but here, here's the thing. It's, you know, it's, it's not just up to the Lord. The Lord has gave us a mission, right? And that's why we do the Light Nativity. That's why we do the Trunk Retreats. That's why we do the Saturday and Easter weekend community outreach trying to reach the community. This is why we do those things, because we want them people to know that, hey, Jesus saves, and they need to be saved. So they escape the horrors of this tribulation, but more importantly, they would grow in a loving, living relationship with their Creator and Savior, Jesus. Amen? So if you got your books open to Revelation 15, we'll get there in a minute. This is another, chapter 15, I want to talk about 15 a little bit. There's, it's another interlude. You know, we've had several interludes throughout the study of the book of Revelation. This is another interlude period where it kind of gives us a time to pause, to kind of think about last week's message. You know, when I think about the reaping of the sickle, and I think about the grapes, remember we mashing the grapes last week, and all that blood that comes down of judgment of those that are lost for the unbelieving world. And it's a sad, it's a very sad thing. So trying to take all this in, it's, it's ginormous, I would say. It's not a word, but to me it's my word. It's big. It's like it's awesomely big. It's just so big. We can't even conceive and think about all those things that are going to happen in tribulation. Even though we read it right in front of our face, it's going to be much worse than we could ever think or imagine. And we can paint all the pictures we want to in our heads. And it's going to be worse than that picture that you painted. I'm telling you, it's going to be worse. But here, this chapter is a preparation for that final judgment of the Great Tribulation, the final judgment. In this chapter, we have another sign that's in heaven. This is the beginning of the end, with the end of their, the, the, the seventh trumpet and the beginning of the seven bowl judgments are going to take place. Finally, right? The judgments are coming to a close, and Christ's reign on earth is so anticipated. Amen? He's coming. He's coming in the clouds of glory. He's coming. He's going to set up his thousand-year reign, and it's going to be awesome, and sin and death is going to be no more. And so I, I just, as we think about it, we might think the worst is over, though, as we study this by now, but it's certainly not over yet. It's not over yet. These seven bowls are the worst of the worst. You can imagine that. This is also the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. 
This is the final judgments which come on the earth as things are wrapping up now. Remember, the purpose of the tribulation is what, folks? Is judgment. That's the purpose of the tribulation, is judgment. Not for purifying the church. Why? Because we're going to be gone. We're out of here. I just love that fact that we're not going to be here during the tribulation period. This ushers in Satan's final opportunity on the earth. God is going to remove the church before the time of the tribulation. Why? Church, because of his awesome grace. Everybody say grace. Everybody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the grace of God. Right? Amen. Amen. He saves by grace through faith, right? And we had nothing to do with it. No part of it. That's right. Jesus had everything to do about it. Right? Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more can he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He loves us so much. He loves us fully. He loves us completely. He loves us. He offers grace. Not to trample on. No, not to trample on. It's not a license to do sin. No, you don't trample on the grace of God. You abuse the grace of God. People abuse the grace of God. They think they're good. They think, I'm going to heaven, my, my ticket's punched, I'm good to go. But listen, if you don't repent of your sin and follow after Jesus, you're not going to heaven. It's not true salvation. And people don't want to hear that. True salvation means, listen, then you're going to listen, you're going to give your life to Jesus. He's going to be the Lord of your life. Amen. And you're going to turn away from your sin, and you're yeah. going to chase Jesus with a fervor and a fervency, and you're going to love him and his word and everything that he has for you. You're going to chase him with all your heart. Amen. You're going to love him with all your heart, all your eyes, all your strength, everything that you are. We need to love the Lord that way. It's not about us. It's about who? It's about him. Always about Jesus. I just want to encourage you this morning. Listen, the Lord loves us. If you accept his grace, you too can escape the horrible judgment. We are all looking for that blessed hope in Jesus. Amen. And believe me, these bowls right here, there's no blessed hope in these bowls right here that we're fixing to go into. In fact, in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, listen to what the Word of God says. For the grace of God, talk about grace, has appeared. Now, let that first make touch your heart. Bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness. He says it right here. Titus says it right here. Deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live what? Sensibly. Live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age that we live. That's all God has asked us to do. Looking for what? The blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. swell up, you know. My head leaks don't swell up. Listen, we need to look up because our redemption draws near. It draws nigh to us. Listen, church, as we grow more in love with Jesus, we will not consider the judgments so terrifying. The closer you get to Jesus, the less you worry about those judgments that are coming. Right? Amen. We know how this story ends because we know the end of the story. Right? And listen, we're winners. Jesus always wins. Always wins. Listen, if you don't know this, then just hang on. As we finish up this book, listen, there's a global population control push going on in the world today, in case you don't know about it. Listen, folks in our society are talking world population, and there are folks trying to do things to control the amount of people coming into this world. I know you've heard some of the people throw their ideas into the ring to decrease the world's population because they just think it's unsustainable, the amount of people that are in the world. Scientists have made an appeal. They make an appeal to the United Nations and different ones about this. And they have different policies that they want to implement to control the population of the world. And this is a very real thing that's taking place. They have a one-child policy. The families can have, only have one child at a time. And listen, they say if you want more children, you want a bigger family, they tell you to adopt. You know? All these things you would think in your mind, it makes sense. But it doesn't. 
They have, they're all about women. Scientists want to say, hey, women need to be empowered more. The empowerment of women to be able to be educated and trained to choose lose life or not choose life. You wonder why abortion is so rapid. It's, this is one of the reasons right here. I promise you it's one of the reasons. Listen, family planning, right? They talk about more family planning. If more people that are poverty or educated, there will be less children born in the world. And that's the way they're thinking. So we know what Planned Parenthood is all about. Amen? So I want you to think about it. It's not just about the health of women. It's about removing the population and removing babies. Listen, they have comprehensive plans, sexuality, education, where they want a fluid of gender identity. They want people to be in courts, uh, people to pay fine, people to be solid, Christian population to be solid because of homosexuality, LGBTQ+, dot, 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 and it'll go on because that's Pandora's box has been opened and anything is gone in the world today. It doesn't matter. When we have poor kids that identify as a cat in school and teachers have to honor them. I'm telling you folks, it's a lot worse than you think it is. But there's so much going on in our world today. This anti-Christ because the world is anti-Christ. Amen? So listen, we need, but here's the thing that's even worse than this global opportunism of globalism that they're talking about. This is even worse. This is much worse than that. Because listen, hell is already full. Think about this. Hell is already full and has already had a population explosion. For years. And listen, folks, would you not like to instrumentally be used by God to decrease the amount of people that go to hell? Amen. And that's something for us to really deep, think deeply about in our life. Millions of people go to hell every day without Jesus Christ, and they're splitting hell wide open. And, and, and listen, when we have the cure, Amen. you can't help it. We're messengers. We can't help it if they receive it or not. But we've got to at least share it. Right? We must share it. So when are we going to start telling everyone about who? Jesus. When we want to tell everybody about Jesus, to encourage you before these angels pour out their wrath and these seven bowls of judgment, there will still be saved people during this time of tribulation. A great harvest of believers will be gathered during the time of tribulation. God has made sure of this. God is rich in his mercy. God is rich in his love and his grace. He is rich beyond all riches that we could ever fathom. He gives opportunity after opportunity. I'm one old boy right here. I'm glad he gave me more than one opportunity Amen. to receive Christ as Savior. You hear me? I ignored him. I shut the door. I didn't answer the door on pastors in my house. I'm in the house. I remember the knocks on the door of Brother Ronnie Floyd, who was one of my pastors. He come on a Thursday knocking on my door in my trailer on, on, at Charleston Air Force Base. And he knocked on it. I had left the church with the church split. That was a good exit for me. And I walked away from all of that. And I walked away from I wasn't even with God at that time. I walked away. I had already was walked away from God. I was already judged by the Lord. And I remember them. I remember, I remember that night that I gave my life in Sicily. And God came to me again and worked on this old boy's heart right here in his mind to get him saved. And I thank the Lord that I responded and I woke up. And he's still waking me up. You hear me? He wakes me up all the time. I look around. and come in here on Sunday morning. He wakes me up. He wakes me up. Well, today we're going to look at three motives in this chapter 15 for the final outpouring of God's wrath. There's three motives. And I want you to write these down. Number one, here's the first motive. The first motive is the vengeance of God. We're going to see the vengeance of God here in this uh, first verse. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. This will bring us up to the end of the great tribulation period. Won't you be glad when we get to the end? 
Woo! I know, man. It's like we've been hearing bad news after bad news after bad news out there. I mean, there's a lot of bad news in Revelation, right? I'm ready for some good news, aren't you? I am. I am. I really am. I mean, I'm seeing, I'm getting, I'm understanding it. I think we'll understand it because if we truly understand it, then we're going to have that burden for lost people because we don't want to see them go through this tribulation period. I mean, if Jesus comes tonight, boom! Come on, Jesus, quickly, come. If Jesus comes tonight, what's going to happen to your kids? What's going to happen to your grandkids? What's going to happen to your neighbors? What's going to happen to the people that you routinely talk and communicate with? What's going to happen to them? And we need to think as if he comes today. Every day we need to think that way. When we wake up, we should get up out and say, Is it today, Lord? Amen. Is it today, Lord? Are you coming back? Listen, I'm speaking to me too. God is speaking to my heart, man. I'm telling you. I'm ready to see Christ coming in the clouds of glory. John says he saw, right? So John is still a spectator here. He's still seeing visions of what's going on in the glories of heaven. Actually, here he is attending, listen to this, the dress rehearsal of the last act of man's day on earth. That's what John is doing here. So this scene anticipates these bold judgments, just like it did in the case of the seals, seven seals, the seven trumpets, and then finally these seven bold judgments. Uh, and so the term great and marvelous in this verse expresses an enormous importance of this sign as it contains, listen, that final outpouring of God's wrath on the wicked unrepentant sinners of the world. The sign has seven angels in it, and you have, have seven plagues in it. Listen, the same beings who serve God's people, listen, will bring God's wrath to a sinful world. Make no mistake about it. These seven plagues are really seven designated blows or wounds, because the word plague literally means a wound or a blow, right? That's what it means. So these are, listen, these are actual words played. They are called the last, implying the preceding trumpet and seal judgments happened beforehand. Some people think that everything happens at the end of the tribulation period. No, no, no. It happens all the way through. It happens all the way through. But some people think it all comes and culminates at the end and all these seals and trumpets and bowls all happens together. No, it does not do that. Seven years is a very short time. There's a lot of things that are happening. These bold judgments are going to happen so rapidly, as you're going to see here in these scriptures today. You see, God's wrath, as we have been studying, extends throughout the tribulation period. Some would argue that it's confined to the end period, but it's not. These bowls are the last. Indicate to me that they come after these sealed judgments and trumpet judgments in chronological order. They do. Look at verse 2. And I saw something like a sea of glass. We kind of sing about that this morning, do we not? Mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of, of God, right? John sees here something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. This sea is not an actual ocean. Hear me. It's not an actual ocean, right? Because, of, listen, Revelation 21.1. Let's what 21.1 says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. So what in the world is this, right? John sees here, this is what he sees, a transparent, listen, crystal platform before the Lord, before God's throne. That's what he sees. Shimmering and glistening like the calmness of an evening, still sunset ocean. You ever done that on the beach? we got a perfect place to do that. You ever go out to the beach and get on the beach in the evening? I need to do it. We're going to do this this week. We're going to go out to the beach. We're going to sit there and look at the calmness of the sea. Look at the sun setting down and mirroring off of the gulf. And just take in the glories and the splendor of God. Amen. We need to do that. Listen, in heaven, it's going to be like this. We see this image also in the Old Testament as well. In the book of Exodus, chapter 24, verses 9 and 10, Then Moses went up to Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and said, And sent me the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire 
as clear as the sky itself. And not just there, but in Ezekiel 2. It's Ezekiel 1.22. Now over the heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse, like an awesome gleam of crystal spread out over their heads. But see, unlike these seeds, right, it's mixed with fire for judgment, fixing to be poured out over the earth. Those who reject God's message of grace and mercy will face a very terrifying experience. The fury of God's fire will consume his adversaries every time. In fact, the book of Hebrews 12, 29 says, For God is a what? What is God? He's a consuming fire. He's a God of love. Absolutely. He's all love. He is the epitome of love. He is the definition of love. He is love. 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 He is, in the dictionary, you open it up, you ought to be a picture of Jesus in there. Love, right? It's love. But he's also a judge. He's a just judge. He's not an unjust judge. You know there's unjust judges in the world, right? There's a lot of them. But this judge is a just judge. He's a just judge. Those who reject God's measure of grace and mercy will face that terrible experience. Numbers 11.1 says this, fire is always associated with God's judgment. Numbers 11 one says, Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, what happened? His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Listen, many other places in Scripture associate fire with judgment. In verse 2 it said, And those who had been victorious over the beast in his image and the number of his name, these are the believers. Redeemed during the tribulation period. Remember we studied about that? Why? Because of their strong overcoming faith in the Lord of the gospel. They lost their lives for the gospel during the tribulation period. They're the ones that sat underneath the altar praying to God, asking, Lord, when are you going to avenge? When are you going to avenge our persecutors? When? They had an overcoming faith. And so they're there. Revelation 24 6, they have a reward. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, listen, because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the Word of God. Would you lose your head for the testimony of Jesus today? Would you lose your head? Careful how you answer that question. Think about that. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Listen, and blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and, the, and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. This is their, their resurrection and their reward. The false prophet will perform many lying wonders before the people to deceive them. One will be setting up the image of the beast, ordering everyone to bow down and worship the beast. He will threaten pain and death if they do not worship this idol. He will also require people to receive a mark from the beast. Those without the mark will face execution and will be unable to buy and sell. I, listen, there are ideas out there already with the World Health Organization, listen, to have a certificate, a digital certificate or footprint to be applied to our, 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 our beings, to our life. There's a little picture. We'll show that picture up there. Look at this. Think about this this morning. They're already talking about the next pandemic to have microchips to put in people. Listen to this. Imagine. This is what they say. Imagine with the swipe of one's microchip hand against a digital reader device unlocking that door, whether it leads to one's office, garage, or home. Today, more than 50,000 people worldwide have elected to receive microchip implants. This technology is especially popular in Sweden, where more than 4,000 Swedes are replacing key cards for chip implants to use for gym access, e-tickets, and more than 4,000 Swedes are 
and, and railway travel, and even store emergency contact information in social media profiles. In the United States, while chip implants are gradually being embraced, hmm, some lawmakers are taking preemptive action to prohibit forced microchipping. Wonder why they're doing that. The first company to begin offering employees free microchip implants was in Wisconsin, vending machine software company in 2017. This alarmed some lawmakers, however, who felt that it was a rabbit hole I don't think we should go down. You think? You think? Think about this and propose banning human microchip implants. And this article was in 2020. So folks, listen, we're at that age. We're, we're at the edge of the ledge. You hear me? If I take one more step, I'm going to fall. Our country, our world is at the edge of the ledge. The mark of the beast is coming. It's coming quicker than you think. Just look around. Listen. Look around. Make sure your affairs are in order. Now I'm talking about your spiritual affairs. Because it ain't going to matter what you leave behind. That's right. You hear me? It ain't going to matter who gets it. It ain't going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter is what Jesus has done in your life. Amen. And in your kid's life. And in your grandkid's life. And in your great-grandkid's life. And in your great-great-grandkid's life. If the Lord delays. Man, we've got we to be on top of it. You hear me? we got to get ahead of the curve. we got to stop living behind the curve. we got to get up. That's why we're doing what we're doing this week. Let people know. Tribulation believers will, by God's power, will forever triumph over the worldwide strategy of Satan, the beast, and the false prophet. Even those martyred for their faith in Jesus will receive those glorious rewards that we just spoke of in chapter 20, verse 4. These tribulation saints, listen, are, are seen holding harps, showing that they are lifting praise and hymn singing to him in glory. Amen? Rejoicing in the Lord, playing harps, golden harps. Can you imagine? Harps have always been associated with praise, always. In Revelation 5, 8, we read about it back in chapter 5 when he had taken the book. The four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the land, each one holding a harp and golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Also, also we see harps also in the Old Testament as well. 2 Samuel 6, 5. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments, made of fir wood and with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. Why do we see this? Because their prayers are to be answered. Their prayers underneath the altar and Jesus on it. Listen, those saints that have been martyred, they're fixing to see the vengeance of the Lord to the persecutors. They're fixing to see it. It's a reminder that God always hears your prayer and my prayer. He always hears our prayer. People say, you know, hear, listen, he hears every single prayer. He hears every single prayer from a believer. He hears it. I've always said he doesn't answer in probably the way you want to be answered. Right? Thank God. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, you're, you're right, sister. There's prayers sometimes you don't want to have answered. You think, how foolish was I to pray that? You know? Like praying for patience, right? Right. right. Yeah, that's not foolish. You have to pray for patience. If you're a believer, the fruit of the Spirit's in you. The fruit, single fruit, many aspects of it, nine of them, right? Patience is one of them. That belongs to Jesus, and he gives it to you freely. Right. And you have patience to want. You just got to submit to him. Long-suffering? Yeah, you've got long-suffering. Because Jesus has it. He gives it to you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Patience, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. All those things are there for you. You just got to surrender to his will. And allow those things to be magnified in your life. The next in the outpouring of God's wrath is number two is the character of God. So we looked at what when we look at the, uh, the vengeance of God, now we're looking at the character of God. Verse three. 
And they sang a song of Moses. I love this. The bondservant of God and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, the glory of your name, for you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. What a wonderful song. Amen? This song that is sung is an anthem of the highest praise to God. Listen, the greatest motive of God's wrath is all about his holy and his righteous character. It's all about God's character. I love his character because he never changes. His love, he never changes. He loves you with an everlasting love. He will always love you no matter what situation, condition you're in. His love never diminishes, never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and how long? Forever and ever. He never changes. He's immutable. That's what that word means. He never, ever changes. It's awesome. He did, Listen, it demands that he judges sinners, though. <coughs> he judges sinners. That song of Moses, think about it, it's the first of several. If you recall, God bless you. If you recall, Moses was called to lead the nation of Israel out of where? Out of Egypt, right? You remember that? So he's called, God delivered them from Pharaoh's pursuing army by doing what? What did he do? Come on, man. They were, they were, they were two and a half million people who leave Egypt. Their backs are at the Red Sea. Now listen, my perspective of that is probably a little bit different than yours. During Desert Storm flying in the military, we had one route into Saudi Arabia and we had one route out of Saudi Arabia. When we left Europe and Spain, we crossed the Mediterranean, we'd go right through Egypt, we'd go right over the Nile River, right over Mount Sinai, the peninsula, the point there, there was a point. Actually, it was a waypoint for our computer on the airplane was Mount Sinai. Isn't that amazing? So we're flying over, well, you know, me, as a Christian, I'm, I'm during 91, I'm up there in the flight station with the pilots and the engineers. We didn't have no navigators because we had the GPS systems on board. But I pulled out some charts, and I'm looking at this, man. I'm looking at these charts, man. I'm popped, and I said, man, Phil, what are you looking at? Because I had a bunch of cargo on. I didn't have to be with the pastors because I had all this cargo on board. I said, man, check this out. I said, listen, I'm looking out the window, and it's a bright, shining day. There's not a cloud in the sky. I don't think ever in Saudi Arabia. But anyway, we're flying along. I'm looking down, and I'm seeing all of Egypt. I'm seeing the Mediterranean. I'm seeing all of Egypt. Other than I see the winding, meandering of the Nile River. And I said, well, this is what I'm looking at. See that river down there? And they said, yeah. I said, that's the Nile River. You know what happened to the Nile River? One of the plagues of Egypt, God turned it into blood. I said, you think about everything that took place, the ten plagues that took place. And it was the last plague. The death angel came in and killed the firstborn of Pharaoh's household. All firstborn, cattle and humans alike. But they didn't have the blood over the doorpost. The blood of redemption, the blood of washing sins away, the blood of the lamb, the innocent lamb. And they were able to leave, and Pharaoh finally let them go. And look what happened. They, they traveled down through here, and I said, I can almost see by, I mean, there were mountains to the north of Israelites, and there was the ocean before them. They were kind of trapped. They had nowhere to go. And I'm looking down there, and I'm saying, see that, see that? Look, there's the, somewhere, and we can see the entire length of the Red Sea from the north to the south. And let me tell you, it goes from north to south. I saw it with my own eyes. I looked on the compass, north to south. Why is that important, Brother Phil? Because the guy said he blew an east wind. And when he blew the east wind, it parted the Red Sea. It parted the Red Sea, and he gathered up the, he didn't need a wind to do that. He could just say, separate. And that's probably what he did. Right? And there it is, gathered up. And all these two million Jews walked across on dry ground to the other side. That's amazing. What does it take for us to get excited about God? What does it take for us to get excited about telling people about Jesus? Listen, what did Jesus do? What did God do? He parted the Red Sea. These people walked across. They got on the other side. And listen, the fire and the cloud by day. And listen, and fire by night held the Pharaoh's army back. They get to the other side. Pharaoh's army comes chasing. God lets them come on in. To their demise, right? He says, okay, it's time. Don't even going to see the salvation of the Lord with the waters parted, opening them going in. They're going to see Pharaoh's army decimated right before their very eyes. There is even archaeological evidence of that today. 
Right? There's guys that are swimming, scuba gear. They're down there finding chariots, chariot wheels, and different things in the Red City. You have to look it up. Google it. I'm telling you, it's an amazing thing. Do we not believe the Bible? It's true, cover to cover, from the index to the mass. It's true, all the way through and through. And listen, when they got to the other side, what happened? They started singing a song. They started singing a song. They were rejoicing in Jesus. They were rejoicing in the Lord. Wow. The Israelites on the banks rejoiced in a song, praised to God for the rescue. Listen to Redeem sing. My, my men on the airplane, they thought I was a nut. <laughs> I said, no, you can believe what you want. You guys are flying over this. We were flying so much from Spain to Europe, and there's only one way in and one way out. So it's like every other day we were flying over these points. And I just, you know, I, I just, I said, you know, I'm just thinking about the Lord. I'm, I'm flying in and out in Desert Storm. We're going in and out of there. And then when, 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 when that nut job lit all the oil fires on fire, that was a mess. Let me tell you, the, the sky was full. Of, it was dark. And listen, and it reminded me how the Bible talks about, like, you know, that the, that the, moon, that the sun would not even shine. When I, we went down through those clouds, the smoke, we got down on the ground. It was dark like midnight on the ground. And it was like noon. I'm like, this is... This is incredible. I'm telling you, the word of God is so true. Amen. You can count on it. You can believe it. You can see it. Experience it. Listen, and, and you will experience it when these days come in the tribulation period when we're in heaven with him. It's going to be an incredible time. They sang a song like the song of Moses. The song of the Lamb will express the themes of God's faithfulness and his deliverance for us, for his people, and judgment for his enemies. Back in Revelation 5, 8 was that song, the song of the Lamb. Exodus 15 is where you will find the song of Moses. Well, they are not exactly the same as the song of Revelation 5. They're very similar in praising the Lord. The themes and the key terms are very similar. These songs really bring enthusiastic praise to God's character. They explain everything about God's character, who he is, for he alone, listen, is what? He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There's no power greater than our God. Amen? Yeah. I'm so glad. He's immutable. He never changes. He's sovereign. He's supreme power and authority over every single thing. He is perfect, and he is righteous. He is the creator, and he is the judge. Amen. That's right. He can do, listen, God can do everything he wants to do, except he can't sin. He's a scary He wouldn't do it. This is why he must judge every sinner. He judges every sinner. He is the ju He is just. That's why even for us as Christians, we're going to be judged. You say, we're not going to be judged. No, we're going to be judged for, for life and death. Or we're going to be at the beam of seat being judged for what we did in the body as Jesus follows. That's right. So we need to be doing what God wants us to do, right? He wants us to open our mouths and tell people about Jesus. And do that. It's amazing. He is everything. He cannot deviate from his awesome character. The song finishes with the joyful expectancy of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. That's when all the nations of the world will come and worship before God. Psalm 66 4 says, All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. And then it says, Selah. Selah means it's like a pause. So you can think about what you just said. We're going to take a pause. The third motive for the outpouring of God's wrath, here's the final motive, is the plan of God. There's a plan. God has a plan. Amen. <laughs> He's fulfilling it right now. He says, after these things, in verse 5, I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was open, and the seven angels who had the seven plates came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, girded around their chests with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. 
That's a mouthful. There's a lot of stuff there. Each of these angels will fulfill their assigned duty according to God's holy plan and his will. Listen, it's always been God's purpose. It's always from the very beginning of time to judge, listen, judge sinners and destroy sin. That's been God's plan from the very beginning. Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Here, in a new vision, they are given instruments of execution. After these things, he said, after these things, this is a dramatic new vision. So the Lord has drawn John's attention away from the praise and worship in heaven that's going on. Can you imagine? I don't take my eyes off praise and worship. That's a great thing. I've been walking, I've been getting visions of judgment. All chapter after chapter, visions of judgment. Oh, now I'm in this praise mode. But, but God distracts him from that. This new vision is revealing to him the bold judgments, which is the next chapter when we come back in the new year. So, John saw these angels who were going to carry out those judgments. He watched, listen, the temple of the tabernacle testimony in heaven was open. The temple refers to the holy of holies. There's a temple, there's, you know, there's not really going to be a temple in heaven, a new heaven, new earth. There is no temple. But if there was a temple, and there's like a temple right there now, then, then this kind of looks like the temple, uh, a lot of the same uh, 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 utensils and instruments are in God's temple, not all of them, but, but some of them are in, in the God's temple now and that, are, that were part of the earth, earthly temple. And so when, he looks at, when we look at this, let's go, let's read on here. It says, in God's source, it says that, that he watched the temple of the tabernacle testimony in heaven was open. Temple refers to the Holy Mother. This is where God's presence was in the temple, the inner sanctuary. The emphasis here is that God is the source of all the plagues that are coming out. That's the whole point behind this here at the temple. If you remember, the temple had a, had a holy place. The first room, the first chamber was a holy place. In it were different things, different items in it. There was the showbread, the candelabra, the altar of incense was there, and then there was a veil, remember? And the veil leads back to what? The Holy of Holies. And that's where God would show himself, not to anybody, but to the priest once a year, right? And he would be in there where the Ark of the Covenant was behind the curtain. That's the holy place, the sanctuary, the holy of holies. Representing the holy security. Listen, John sees these angels that come out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright. They were holiness and purity, what they resembled, right? And girded around their chest with golden sashes. I went thinking, can you imagine what these angels look like? Can you imagine what they look like? One day you're not going to have to imagine. Right? You're going to see them. It's going to be awesome, right? Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of wrath of God who lives forever and ever. This is a high-ranking cherubim. It's a high-ranking cherubim giving these angels their bowls full of God's wrath. It's fixing to go down, amen? These bowls are shallow, saucer-type bowls. These bowls were used in the temple, right? They were kind of like they were, they were shallow, saucer bowls. And the reason that they're shallow is that when these when these seven bowls come, they're going to come like all at once. It's going to be bam, 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 bam. It's, going to, it's going to be hurled upon the earth, hurled down to instant flood of judgment. This instant flood of judgment is what it's going to be on the people. The bowls were part of those temple furnishings. First Kings seven fifty: the cups and the snuffers and the bowls and the spoons and the fire pans of pure gold and the hinges both. To the doors of your house, the most holy place, and for the doors of the house, that is the name and the gold. These bowls were part of the sacrificial system. Listen, those who refuse to drink the cup of salvation will be drowned in the judgments poured out from these bowls of wrath. Why? Because God lives forever and ever. He alone has the power to put an end to sin so that it cannot exist ever again. Amen? No more sin. Can you imagine that? Obliterated from his presence forever, once and for all. And in verse 8, he says, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God, from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Not just angels came out of the temple, but also smoke came out of the temple, symbolizing what? The glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God. 
That's what it was. And it's his power, his presence, his majesty. We saw all this in the temple, the tabernacle of the Old Testament. Isaiah, Exodus 40 and 35 says, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now think about this. John is seeing something he had never experienced. Listen, on the mount, on the temple mount. Smoke also symbolizes God's wrath as well. No one could enter the temple until the plagues were finished. This cloud will remain in the temple until the earth is completely purged and prepared for the king and his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Listen, the three motives of God's wrath in chapter 15. The vengeance of God. Amen? He's going to repay those for what they've done. The character of God. What's important about his character? And then it changed. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the plan of God. The will of God. His will is being fulfilled in our hearing, in our seeing. Right before us, we see it. We see it in the world. We see it. Listen, 60 years ago, you could talk about microchips in, in your hand. Right? 60 years ago, you couldn't talk about microchips in your hand. I mean, it, that was like futuristic stuff. You know? But here we are. You know? It's a possibility. Or they say a little thing, like the size of a rice seed. And thrust it right into your veins. And then you're shipped. There's coming a time, if you're here for the tribulation, the false prophets going to say, take the mark. If you don't, you're going to die. I pray there's none of you in here. I pray that all of us in here are, are know Jesus as our Savior and are his child. Amen? Amen. And if you're not, I want to encourage you this very day, ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you. Not just to save you from the tribulation, to save you from yourself. Right? Amen. Save you from yourself. I mean, most of us gotta save ourselves. I mean, there's blinders on. Well, you don't receive Christ as Savior because you got these blinders on. And you can't get off. Satan puts blind. He blinds the minds of those who are not able to see the light of the truth. And Jesus wants us to see, right? Like all of you, you can see clearly as we teach this word. We see it and we see. We see it unfolding right before our eyes, and this makes me want to crop more to my to my to my kids and my neighbors. And this and that. It should burden our heart. If Revelation do nothing else, it should put an unction and an urge and a burden on your heart to make sure that you share the light of Jesus to the world. Amen? Because we don't want to see nobody go through that. Much less eternity without God and Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, you are a faithful witness to us through your precious word. Lord, there may be some here today that's never trusted you and saved you, Lord, of their life. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Lord, and if they are here, I pray, God, that they would just right now, in the stillness and quietness of this moment, that God, you've already been working on their hearts. Now, all they're going to do is surrender and say, Lord, I come to you. I can't remove my sin. Can't forgive myself. But Lord, the pastor just said that, hey, Jesus, you came to take our sin. You took it 2,000 years ago on that cross. You laid your life down. Nobody put you on that cross. You laid your life down on the cross to die for me, to die for everybody in this room and everybody in the world. If we would only receive that free gift of grace and salvation, Father Lord, from you. So, Lord, if there's anybody in this room today that doesn't know you as Savior, let this be that day of salvation for them where they just say something so simple. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And, Lord Jesus, I desperately need a Savior. And, Lord, I know that you died for me. I believe that you died for me. I believe you took my sin and you died for me 2,000 years ago. I accept you as my Savior and my Lord today. Come into my heart change me from who I am and help me to turn around from doing the things wrong that I do in my life to change that to you with all my heart. And Lord, I want to trust you for the rest of my life to know, Lord, that because I have given my life to you, you have sealed me and you're going to keep me until the day that 
breath leaves my body. And then my next breath in 